0: Scripture reading today comes from the book of Exodus, chapters 2 and 3. Please follow along in your bulletin. Now it came about in the course of those many days that the king of Egypt died, and the sons of Israel sighed because of the bondage, and they cried out. And their cry for help because of their bondage rose up to God. So God heard their groaning, and God remembered his covenant to Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. God saw the sons of Israel, and God took notice of them. Now Moses was pasturing the flock of Jethro, his father in law, the priest of Midian, and he led the flock to the west side of the wilderness and came to Horeb, the mountain of God. The angel of the Lord appeared to him in a blazing fire from the midst of a bush. And he looked, and behold, the bush was burning with fire, yet the bush was not consumed. So Moses said, I must turn aside now and see this marvelous sight. Why the bush is not burnt up?
1: When the Lord saw that, he turned aside to look. God called to him from the midst of the bush and said, Moses, Moses. And he said, here I am. Then he said, do not come near here. Remove your sandals from your feet, for the place on which you are standing is holy ground. He said also, I am the God of your father, the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, and the God of Jacob.
0: Then Joseph hid his face, for he was afraid to look at God.
1: The Lord said, I have surely seen the affliction of my people who are in Egypt, and have given heed to their cry because of their taskmasters, for I am aware of their sufferings. So I have come down to deliver them from the power of the Egyptians. And to bring them up from that land to a good and spacious land, to a land flowing with milk and honey, to the place of the Canaanite and the Hittite and the Amorite and the Pezite and the Hevite and the Jebusite. Now behold, the cry of the sons of Israel has come to me. Furthermore, I have seen the oppression with which the Egyptians are oppressing them. Therefore, come now, and I will send you to Pharaoh, so that you may bring my people, the sons of Israel, out of Egypt.
0: But Moses said to God, Who am I that I should go to Pharaoh, and that I should bring the sons of Egypt, sons of Israel out of Egypt?
1: And he said, Certainly I will be with you, and this shall be the sign to you that it is I who have sent you. When you have brought the people out of Egypt, you shall worship God at this mountain.
0: Then Moses said to God, behold i'm going to the sons of israel and i'll say to them the god of your fathers has sent me to you and now they may say to me what is his name what shall i say to them
1: god said to moses i am who i am and he said thus you shall say to the sons of israel i am has sent me to you
0: this is the reading of god's word
2: Wow, do I hear amen to that? You can say amen, we're in church, that's okay. That's amazing. Thanks guys. We are finishing up a series on prayer. We've had Mike do an amazing sermon on the kingdom what do we wait for? We had Wehan did a great job on just praise and worshiping him. And what does that look like? I don't know if you were here last uh, Sunday. If you weren't, I don't often say this, but I think you, you need to go online and listen to the sermon, because we talked a lot about where we feel like God has a church. We handed out these. We ran out of these. We're Actually, we'll have some more next week. If you didn't get one of these, you need to get one of these and look at where we've been and where we are now, where we're praying that God will take us as a church. It's an amazing, exciting time to be on this, this journey with Him. We talk a lot about in this church that we're on a journey, and in this journey we all have stories that are being told. Our hope is that your story is being interwoven with God's story, that God is touching you and He's meeting you and He's changing you, We've said a couple times, and you've seen this illustration, that our hope is that as we're on this journey as a church and as a community that we're reaching out, that somewhere in this life, that God comes into your life and he touches you. We have a PowerPoint, hopefully, for this, and here it is. So you're on this journey, and we have this conversion event that happens. Somewhere God opens your eyes to his son, Jesus Christ. You fall in love with him, and he changes you. And as you go on this journey we grow in two dimensions. We grow in this dimension of that we're growing awareness of God's holiness. And as we do that, hopefully we're growing in the dimension that we're aware of our brokenness, our neediness, our, our sinfulness, our flesh. And these two things we hope should be, we want them to be, growing at the same time. And if you don't grow both of these at the same time, we kind of become lopsided. And as they grow at the same time, we see that the cross gets bigger and bigger. We start to understand even more what grace means. We start to understand even more and more what, what holiness means. We start to understand even more what, uh, what God sacrificed and what it cost Christ to bring you into his family. I think sometimes we forget that. We forget what it cost God to bring us in back to the family of God and sometimes on this journey, as we grow, we enter into this dimension, and we're going to talk about it today. And it's hard as a pastor because I wish I could be in every one of your stories. I wish I could know what is going on in your life, and I don't. I can only share what's been going on in my life. And I know that we're all about the same on this journey. But as we enter into this lifestyle, sometimes we have these things happen. And as we go along in time, we basically see you can just keep pushing them out there that we have this time we have hope, and we have reality. That we, we're on this journey, and we understand how we want to live our lives, we understand what our lives want to look like, but something is happening there. That our reality and what we hope to happen aren't matching up. That we hope that we would get this job by this time, or we hope that we would be married by this time, or we hope that our kids would act right by this time, or we hope that Something would happen by this time, and the reality just doesn't match it. And what happens is we enter into this this period of tension and despair and and hurt and anguish and angst. And sometimes we deal with it by just denial. We just say, hey, I I know you've you've felt like this. Sometimes I have. You know, it's like this, there's a 500-pound gorilla in our room right now. My wife and I need to talk about that, but we don't want to talk about that because we just think if we ignore it, it will go away. And we do that in our relationships and in the church. And when things are hurting and when somebody offends us, we just do that. And we live in this realm of unreality, trying to cover up all that tension. Sometimes on our journey, we try to just basically work harder. We figure, okay, here's what my reality is. This is what I want. If I just work harder, everything is going to be okay. I mean, maybe I haven't been praying enough. Maybe I haven't been reading my Bible enough. Maybe I haven't done these other things enough. And if I do these and I work really hard or maybe I study really hard, if I do all these things, then God's going to go, that's great. You, you did it. Here, here's, this, here's, the gold, here's the golden ticket. Great job. And so we become determined and we just work and we work and we work. And the Bible says that we enter into religion. That's what religion is. Religion is I do these things so that I earn God's favor. If I do these things, then God owes me. Sometimes we enter into just despair. I think despair is sometimes the easiest thing to do, especially in certain cultures. You just give up. Well, you realize that my reality will never match what I hope. And instead of walking around frustrated all the time in in anguish and in despair and in just frustrated, I just give up. And I say, well, Whatever. I don't know if you've ever felt those things in your life, but the passage today is full of those things, and it's something I think that we as a church need to deal with and talk about instead of hiding. We're looking at this passage in Exodus, which I think is is one of my favorite passages, Uh, and I'm, I'm just sharing my story with you guys. It's something that I continue to come back to over and over and over again as I get despaired, in, in Exodus, in the Old Testament, we often look at narrative. that The stories are narrative. They're telling a story. Now, it's much different than the New Testament. The New Testament, you come to it, and this gives you this action point. Christ died for you. He shed his blood on the cross. You need to repent and turn back to him. And that point is very, very clear. But sometimes when we come to the Old Testament, that point is there, But we have to read and read and think about it because often it's hidden in the shadows because the ultimate fulfilling of this truth is in Jesus Christ. And so we see these truths there and we read them and we compare them to what we know of the story that God is weaving throughout all of Scripture And so this passage today talks about the desert times, talks about the difficult times, and I don't know what the desert times are for you in your life. When I looked at those first charts and I looked at this despair, I I, I think of country western, okay, I'm going to confess. I think of country western music. Does anybody here ever listen to country western music? Okay, so country western music is like the most listened to music in America, maybe worldwide, I don't know. But in country western I don't know. It's where I learned about grief and despair before I became a Christian, okay? Uh, but in country-western music, there is a scale of despair. Uh, if you hear the guy singing, and he's singing about he lost his job or his boss is a jerk, then his, his despair is pretty low. I mean, if he's singing about uh, his boyfriend or his girlfriend broke, him, broke up with him and life is terrible, then the despair is, is a little high. Or if he talks about his car broke down, especially his truck then it's, it's in the medium level of despair because that's very important for, for country folk, their, their, their trucks. Um, if he talks about his wife left him for his best friend or her best friend, that's really bad, okay? And the ultimate is if he talks about his dog dying. If you're listening to the song and a guy's talking about his dog dying, you know that he's like in the pit of despair. I mean, the only thing worse than your dog dying is if you lost your job, your boss is a jerk, your boyfriend your girlfriend broke up with you, your wife left you for her friend or your best friend, your car broke down, and your dog died, and then your life, you just might, you're, you're, you're in despair. You just give up. There's no hope. I don't know where you are today. And my hope is, is you're not there. My hope is that some of these things you're going to hear today, you're going to go, well, that's just not where I'm at. I'm not in the desolate times. But if you're God's child, you will be. You will be. Because the Bible says that God loves us so much that he doesn't want to leave us as we are. He doesn't want to leave us broken. He doesn't want to leave us needy. He doesn't want to leave us in guilt. He doesn't want to leave us in shame. And often, he will take us to the desert places to fix those things. I don't know what the desolate things are in your life. Maybe they're broken promises. Maybe they're broken relationships. Maybe they're broken families. Maybe they're broken kids, or your kids are out of control. Maybe your boss is out of control. Maybe your health is broken, maybe it's caused because you've been sinful and you've just been disobedient to God and, and you've gone into this desert place. Maybe you've made poor choices. Maybe, maybe you're married to your desert place. But the passage today for me, and I've only been at this for about 38 years, okay? So I've been on this Christian journey for 38 years and it's scary to me because every day I learn something new about God's grace Every day I learn something new about God's mercy. Every day I learn something new about what God is doing in my life and what he needs to do and what I need to give up to him. But this passage has three seminal points I want you to hear really carefully. Because if you don't need them now, you are going to need them sometime in your life. And we're in the book of Exodus, and Exodus begins at about 1500 B.C., The people of God have been in Egypt for over 400 years. I mean, it ends in Genesis when they are told that Joseph brings his whole family, the people that God has chosen, and we get to this part in Exodus where we're told that the king dies and things get really bad. They get so bad that the people of God start to cry out and ask, God, where are you? Where are you in this despair? Where are you in these terrible times? You can... Take that off. That's great. You, where are you in, in our lives? And as I look at that in my life, there are three things that keep sticking out to me. The first thing is the question, what? What I hope to do is we're going to cover what, where, and, and will. Those three points. And the first thing that sticks out to me in this passage is, is, is the question, What? As we've gone through this journey time, as you look here in this passage, now it came about in the course of many days that the king of Egypt died and the sons of Israel sighed because the bondage, and they cried out greatly. It says four times, different ways they cried. They cried for help. They wailed because their bondage rose up to God, and it was really, really bad. So God heard their groaning, and God remembered his covenant with Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, and God saw them, and he felt compassion on them the word is he noticed them but it's actually he he has been noticing them but it's not just he's woke up one day and realized oh I have this promise but the scripture says that he's been watching them the whole time and the first thing that I learn about prayer in the desert places in the difficult places in the desolate places is that often God is the one who takes us to these places. God is the one who leads us. God is the one who takes us. God is the one who allows us. God is the one who places us in these places and is through throughout Scripture. He brings the people of God in Genesis to Egypt. He brought Moses to the wilderness and to the mountain. He brings the people in a little while out into the wilderness where they travel for 40 years years he brings jesus his son into the wilderness for 40 days and in the wilderness he does something that he 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 changes them he changes us i mean the bible tells us that god is going to take everyone he loves into the wilderness now i know that's not sexy That's not the sexy gospel. The sexy gospel says, well, you you become a Christian and you get a Rolex and everything is perfect and you never have problems. But the Bible, it doesn't say that. It says that he loves us so much that he wants to heal us and the only way that he can heal us is by taking us into these desert places, into the desolate places. And what we see there is when he takes us into these places, he teaches us two things. The first thing that he does is he shows us a lot about ourselves, he shows us our idols. He shows us our pride. He shows us our arrogance. And he can only show us, us these things when everything is stripped away, when things are difficult. I mean, you look at the passage here, and we, sometimes we read through it really quickly, but I think it is an amazing passage. Verse 1, look at that really quickly here. What does he say? Now Moses, who is pasturing the flock of Jethro, his father-in-law, the priest of Midian. And we're going to stop right there. Now if you were a Hebrew person and you read this passage, you would be freaking out. And if you were an Egyptian, you would be even more concerned and messed up. Because you have to realize that it's Moses. Now of all the people in the scripture besides Christ, he is the person who probably has the greatest influence in all of us. Moses, who was raised and educated in the best education system in the world at that time. Moses, who hated shepherds, when Joseph came and the Egyptians hated shepherds, they said, Don't even tell them, don't even tell Pharaoh you're a shepherd, because he'll he's just he, Pharaohs are, shepherds are disgusting. The Egyptians used to shave all the hair off their body. And it was a daily ritual of cleansing. And they realized and they thought that anybody who dealt with animals and livestock, especially shepherds, were defiled and unclean. Keep them away from us. But here we see that Moses is shepherding the flock of his father-in-law. Moses, the prince of Egypt, who had enormous amounts of wealth, He was one of the most wealthy men in his age before he made his exodus into the wilderness. And here, he doesn't even have his own flock. He doesn't have anything to say, this is mine. God took all that away from him because he realized that Moses was clinging to those things more than he was clinging to God We read in the passage that Moses is a hired hand and he basically is subservient to his father in law. So we see that God took Moses, who for 40 years was the best educated, the wealthiest, in the middle of Pharaoh's court, and he took him to this desert place for 40 years to teach him, to teach him about himself. It took 40 years to get Pharaoh's court away from him. I've thought about this often as I've gone through the desert times, and I wonder how often and how long many of us have been working in Pharaoh's court today. And I wonder if God were really to use us and to use us in mighty ways, how many times would he have to separate us, remove us, Take us to the desert places where all we can do is trust him, cling to him. Be careful how you pray when you're in the desert times. Often my prayers are, get me out of here right away. This is uncomfortable. This hurts. I need relief. Get me out of here. But what we see in the scripture is that God has this amazing thing that he wants to do to your story. He's weaving your story into his story. He's making something wonderful, something amazing. And Sometimes the only way he can do that is by taking you into the desert and showing your heart. In the desert, we learn about ourselves, but we learn about God. I mean, this passage is all about God in the desolate places. We learn in verse 14 that he he is who he is, that he's holy. He's separated. Nothing influences him. He's dependent upon nothing. He's he's totally other. We learn in the passages that he is holy. It's the first time that that's ever used in verse 5 in all of scripture. But Moses knows what it means right away because he doesn't even want to look at God, but he bows his head and he drops to his feet. We learn that he's the God of your fathers, the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, the God of Jacob, the God of your father. And what he's saying there is, I'm not this God that's way out there, but I'm a God who's... Right here. Now the people would never have understood that because all the time they thought that God was out there. God was out there. Don't bring him close. If you bring him close, you're going to get destroyed. Don't look at him or you're going to die. But what God is saying here is that he's knowable. And he's personal. And he wants to do something amazing in your life. And so when you go into the desert times, what I'm learning is I don't want to pray. I want to be careful how I pray. My heart says, pray, why, why? Why is this happening to me? Why are you allowing this to happen? Why is this person so mean? Why is these things not going the way I wanted them to do? But what I've learned is what I should be asking is what? God, what, what are you trying to teach me in this? God, what are you trying to teach me about yourself? God, what are you trying to teach me about me? I mean, if I only think why, 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 I pray because I want to get out of it, but I don't learn that lesson, and I still have Egypt stuck onto me. And God can't use me. So instead of asking why, I've learned to ask What? What are you teaching me? What do you want me to do? What do you want me to be? What am I supposed to do with this? How am I supposed to glorify you? Don't be so quick in the desert. I'm warning this. Because we don't want to keep going into the desert. We want to be in the desert and God teach us. And we say, well, I learned that. That's great. I don't need to go back there again. But don't be so quick to say, I need to get out of here. Because God wants to teach you an incredible question. And I think that question is what, not why. Why? Another thing that I've been learning in these desert times in my 38 years is as I listen to God and I try to figure out where is he working here, and I feel very disappointed sometimes when my lines don't match up. And what I realize is that I'm disappointed because God is not writing the story the way I want it written. I mean, in my mind, I had this very specific idea of how my life's to be lived, what's going to happen, when is it going to happen, and when that does not happen, I become disappointed. The story isn't being played out the way I want it to be. God, where are you? Don't you even see me? And we see in verse 24 and 25 that he's the God who hears. That he's the God who is present. That he remembers his covenant. He remembers his relationship with his people. He remembers his relationship with you and I. I mean, sometimes we just think, well, we're married to God. That's what Scripture says. But every once in a while, God just forgets his ring or he forgets to look down on his hand because life gets really difficult and really bad. But the Scripture says here that God remembers his covenant. That there's never a time that he forgets about you. There's never a time that he says, oh, yeah, I forgot all about Tobin. Yeah, I need to go back and see how he's doing there but that he's always involved, he's always working. In verse 7, which I think is one of my favorite verses, it says, The Lord said, I have seen the affliction of my people that are in Egypt. I have given heed to their cry because of the taskmasters. I'm aware of their suffering, so I am going to come down. The words you see there is he's the God who sees, he's the God who hears, he's the God who knows, he's the God who acts. That in the midst of the desert time, in the midst of things when things aren't working up, in the midst when I feel the tension, I come back to this truth and I realize that it's God and He's there. He sees, He knows, He hears, and He acts. And the tension is with me sometimes that He's not doing it the way that I want it done, or I feel like He's not there. Maybe instead of praying, God, why aren't you here? Where are you? How come these things are happening? What's going on here? God, I just feel like you're not with me here. Maybe we should be asking, God, where are you in this? He says really specifically, it's a very special word in verse 8. He says, I have come down to them. In Hebrew, translated into Greek, that word is advent. It's the word we get our Christmas advent from. And what he's telling the people of God as they're on this journey, as things get difficult, that God is making himself known in your life right now. In Moses' story, it was a burning bush. There was a bush burning, and it was the presence of God. Look what he says here in verse 3. The angel of the Lord, in verse 2, appeared to him in a blazing fire from the midst of a bush, and he looked and beheld the bushes burning, yet the fire, yet the bush was not consumed. So Moses said, I must turn aside now. All throughout Scripture, we see that God is making himself known. All throughout Scripture, we see that God is entering into our lives. He says, I'm in the bush, he says it, I'm coming down. And the question is, do we look for him? I think what I'm learning in the journey is, instead of saying, where are you? Or why are you allowing me to go through this? The question I ask is, God, where are you? Because your word says that you're here somewhere. Your word says that you're working in the midst of me getting fired. Your word says that you're here in the midst of my family life out of control. Your word says that you're here when I just got this incredibly bad doctor's report. Your word says that you're here when my best friend has left me. Where are you? What are you you trying to show me in this? How am I supposed to react to this? Make yourself known to me, help me, help me to see you more clearly. In the desert times, we're going to be tempted to say, What the heck is going on? And where are you? I feel like I'm looking for you in a crowd and I cannot find you. But this passage says that God is right beside us. And He wants a relationship with us. And the question we should be asking is, Where? The Bible always says that God comes into your life right now. He wants to do two things. He wants to save you from something. Verse eight says he wants to save us from Egypt. He wants to save us from slavery. He wants to save us from bondage. And he wants to save us to something. Verse 8 says he wants to save us to a land flowing with milk and honey. He wants to save us to a place where we will be safe and whole and fixed. One of the things I'm learning in the desert places is that God's story always ends in hope. Didn't you know that? It's very interesting. I'm watching movies nowadays. And I went to the Hunger Games with my wife. I'm not recommending that. If you have kids, don't take your kids. It's one of the first movies I've seen lately that has some kind of hope in it. But it really doesn't end in hope because you know something bad's going to happen. But hope is a very specific Christian message. I mean, my wife calls me a geek Because I like to read. And I like to read ancient stories and things like that and Greek plays and things like that. And what you see about the Greeks are two things. One is they only have two types of stories. They have comedies and they have tragedies. Comedies are fun and funny, but they're not real life. Tragedies are not fun, but they are real life. And until Christ's time, this was how all stories were laid out. And then we have God who advents into our life. And for the first time in human history, we see this idea of hope. And so the question I want to ask ourselves is, where, where's the hope? God, where are you in the midst of this? Where are you working? How can I see you? Please let me see you. What where, and will. And for me, this is the biggest challenge for me as I walk with Christ. When I enter into the desert, I come back to verses three and four. I want you to read them with me really quickly. So Moses said, I must turn aside now and see this marvelous sight, why the bush is not burned up. Then the Lord saw that he turned aside to look God called to him from the midst of the bush and said Moses Moses and he said here I am I think the question we have to struggle with is the question will will, will we turn aside will we meet with God Will we spend time with him? Because to be honest with you, sometimes in my day I'm so busy, even in the midst of the desolate times, I just don't have time to spend time with God. Because I have so many things on my to-do list. But the message here in the desert is really clear. God turned and spoke to Moses after Moses noticed him and moved towards him. There's a really strong cause and effect thing happening here. You see that God spoke to him after he saw Moses turn to him. And in this passage, there's two groups of people. There's the people in captivity. They're crying out to God. In Hebrew, it says they're, they're praying. They're, they're, God, why aren't you here? What is going on for 400 years? And they have Moses. It's interesting because Moses isn't crying out for God. I mean, they're both working in the desert, the people were in the desert, and they're desolate and in captivity. Moses is in a desert, and he's desolate and in captivity. The only difference is that Moses doesn't know it. And God comes to Moses, and he shows himself to Moses in a desolate place. And Moses makes a choice, and he turns to him and spends time with him. One of the biggest lessons I continue to learn after 38 years in the deserts is that I have a choice. And the choice is, will I look for God where he is? And when I see him there, will I turn to him and spend time with him? Will I pray to him? Will I spend time in his word? Will I come back to community? Will I be involved in what God is doing? There's a choice. As we journey with Christ In the midst of this life, our stories are being woven together with him. He wants to change us and make us more like his son. In the midst of this, he's trying to show us why. He's trying to show us where. But the question is, will? Will we spend time with him? Will we come to him? Will we allow him to change us? I don't know what's happening in your story today. I don't know where you are. I think some of us think of prayer as something that we just do in a vacuum or we do when it's difficult. But the passage says that prayer is something that we do all the time because God is with us all the time, that God is personal. He wants to be in a relationship with us. He wants to be with us in the good times, and he wants to be with us in the difficult times. He wants to start a relationship with us. And the question today is, will we? Will we allow him to have that time with us? Will we turn to him when things are difficult? Will we trust him? Will we allow him to change us in the difficult times? Where where are you on your journey My prayer is, is you don't need these points right now. But I know that someday you will. And my hope is, is, that you will come back to them and allow God to change you. Father, we just thank you for this day. We thank you for your goodness in our life. We thank you for your mercy. We thank you that you desire to take us to a new place. A place flowing with milk and honey. Father, we thank you that even in the midst of the chaos which is our life and in our world, that you're speaking to us. You're speaking to us in burning bushes. You're speaking to us in sunrises. You're speaking to us in worship songs. You're speaking to us through friends. You're speaking to us through relatives. But I pray as you speak to us that we will turn aside to you that we will spend time with you, we will allow you to take us to these places that only there you can change us and make us the type of people you want us to be. Only there can you heal us and strip away the things that cling to us and drag us down. Only there can you show us who you really are, that you are the God who's knowable, That you are the God who desires to have a relationship with us. That you are the God who's holy and just. And that you are the God who withheld nothing to bring us back to you. That in a poker game, you were all in and you laid it all there to win us back. Father, we just thank you for this day and for your word May we be people that worship you, that love you, that trust you. And we pray these things in your son Jesus' name. Amen. 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 I'm going to ask you to sit down just for one minute. I remember more, and more than that. And I'm going to ask uh, Josh and Trish to come up here. And so uh, we're, uh, and my wife, And uh, so, you know, when we started the the church, uh, I shared this at a a staff gathering last night. Uh, Josh and Trish, this is their last Sunday here for a while. So he's being called back uh, by his mission agency to the States and then to the Philippines. And so we have been so uh, blessed to have them, steal them for this year and a half, two years. And so when we started the church, I had a couple prayer request. I actually had three miracles I wanted from God. because We were still like, God, we feel like we want, you need to do this, but I need these things from you, or I just can't do it. And so my first uh, miracle that I prayed for was someone who could come up and preach besides myself, because I know that you get tired of just hearing me all the time. And the goal wasn't just to have one pastor or someone sharing God's word, because we want to multiply and plant other churches. And so one day I met with Josh at a greasy spoon place that no longer exists, and he says, Trish and I have asked our mission agency whether we can join you, and uh, we we are going to join you. And so for me, that was the first miracle that God gave me personally and us as a church to move forward and to plant this church. And so uh, you guys, we're going to incredibly miss you, massively miss you, as we say in the office. And, uh, and so uh, I'm going to pray for you, but I wanted to uh, give you uh, this plaque. So this is, this, I think this is the first one of this type, so we'll, we'll so it's a, uh, and I need to put some white behind it so, so I can read it. Um, it says, uh, founding members, Joshua and Patricia Hammond, founding members of Watermark Community Church. So that's the first founding member one we've ever done, so you guys are... Uh, Thank you for your partnership to Watermark Community Church in Hong Kong, spreading the gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ. Your faithfulness, commitment, and sacrifice have resulted in countless people being influenced for our Savior. We love you. So we we want to uh, give you that. And I'm going to ask the elders, uh, the two elders, We, we brought on elders last week, and so we had a huge week last week. So again, you're going to want to pick up one of these. And we're going to just lay our hands on you guys and commission you and, uh, and pray for you and just pray for safe travels and safe return in what God's doing in your life. So let me, if you guys would join us. Father, I thank you for uh, the Hammond family. Thank you just, you brought them here for this uh, amazing special time. And so uh, we have been incredibly blessed by them as a couple and as a family and with their kiddos and just to continue watching them grow with two boys and a girl on their way uh, and many more to come. Uh, We just thank you for bringing them to us and what a blessing it is. We we part uh, in sadness, but we know that you are sending them to great things as they go out to equip and train uh, pastors and planters in the Philippines and beyond. And so we just we pray that you would watch over them, guard them, keep them safe. And, uh, Father, we, we love you. And thank you for these amazing gifts you've given us. And we pray all these things in your son Jesus' name. Amen. Thanks, guys. Yeah. And they'll be around out back or out in the front, so you can grab some time with them. And uh, please uh, just, yeah, they, they're our first miracle. So let's, yeah. Also, uh, let me just really quickly, just two things I want to share up here really quickly. The first one is this in your bulletin, the very first uh, thing right there. There's going to be a Women's of Watermark gathering. It's a panel discussion. It's this Wednesday from 9.30 to 11.30. They're going to have women at all life stages, uh, single, with kids, with kids who are causing trouble, and with kids who gone and they 're probably still causing financial trouble to dads and things like that and so that will be this Wednesday from nine thirty to eleven thirty want to uh, highly encourage you women uh, guys you can 't go there but send your wife uh, want to highly encourage you to go to the community center from nine thirty to eleven thirty for that time of fellowship also right after this class uh, right after this service we 're going to have a baptism class and so if you haven't signed up for the baptism class it 's not too late to do that and so please come and see me, uh, or Franklin, he will be leading it. And so we want, we're going to do a big baptism celebration on May 6th. So we're going to bring out... Uh, Sylvia and Millen are laughing at me back there. Uh, so we'll bring out our big uh, kiddie pool out back. We spared no expense in how we do baptism. But if he, uh, Scripture says that as a, as a follower of Christ, the first act of obedience is to be baptized. And so if you are a Christ follower, you've invited Christ into your life, and you haven't been baptized, and you are part of this church, we want you to be a part of this because this is a family event and a family gathering. And also on Tuesday nights at 730, the Love and Respect marriage group is gathering. We've only done one session, so there's time for you to gather. There were 20 or 19 couples last Tuesday. It was an amazing, amazing thing. So husbands, be a good husband and invite your wife on a date night for the next five Tuesday nights wife be a good wife and say yes husband I'll go with you <laughs> okay uh, and with that let me just pray for us Father we just thank you for your goodness in our life we thank you that um, we thank you that your story is being written all around us it's being written in captivity it's being written in bondage it's being written through burning bushes it's being written through people crying out it's being written through people being faithful and everywhere you're speaking to us you're here and you've called us into a relationship into a covenant with you and Lord we just pray as we come before you as your people that we would realize just how amazing that privilege is that we'd realize in a desert in difficult times that it's not why but it's what you're trying to teach us and do in us and it's not Why aren't you here? But it's where are you? Because you've said that you're always there. That you are the God who sees. You are the God who hears. You are the God who knows. And you are the God who acts. So may we cry out, where, Lord? Where are you? Help us to see the burning bush. Help us to see your hand. Help us to meet you where you're meeting. And Lord, it's the will. Will we turn aside? And I pray as a church that we would always turn aside to meet you. I pray as families that we would always turn aside to meet you. I pray as singles we'd always turn aside to meet you because you want to talk to us moment by moment. And so we come and we worship you and we praise you and we love you. We pray all these things in your son Jesus' name. Amen. God bless you and have a great week.